Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. You're ready, guys. You know that we are in the last days, that now is the time for the body of Christ to rise up. And I want to prophesy over somebody that God is waking you up tonight. I really believe that tonight there is an alarm going off. I believe that the Holy Spirit is waking up his church. I believe the Holy Spirit is waking up his body. I believe that we are living in the last days. And if there's ever been a time for the church to be awake, if there's ever been a time for the church, and I'm just prophesying here for us to be bold, now is the time for us to be bold. Now is the time for us to be awake. Friend, listen, now is not the time to be playing religion. Now is not the time to be playing church. I believe that God is raising up a last day remnant. I believe God is raising up an end time church i believe that now is the time to be bold now you might say why is it so important that i'm right with god right now and the reason why friend is because we have a short time the bible says in isaiah 55 to call on the lord while he is near and to seek him while he can be found that we have a short time right now in these last days to get right with god that we don't have time to play religion come on can we get some ones in the chat we don't have time to play church that literally guys jesus can come back at any moment now people might say well everybody's always been saying that jesus can come back but friend understand the signs that are happening right now are signs we've never seen before there's an intensity to the signs there's a consistency to the times and there is a frequency to the signs and the times that we are living in and this is why this should alarm us friend you should be alarmed by what is going on right now this should not be normal for you you should not be sitting back the christian that you were come on help me preach tonight holy ghost the christian that you were a year ago can't be the christian that you are today the christian that you were a week ago can't be the Christian that you are today you need to level up the Bible says that we go from glory to glory to glory and I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit tonight that God wants to level you up that God wants to advance you just tell him right now Lord I want to go to a level that I've never been before I want to go places in the spirit that I've never been before. I am not content. Come on, with living on the shallow end of Christianity. I'm not content with going through the motions. I wish I had some preachers that would preach the unadulterated, passionate word of God. I wish I had some people that understood that our time is limited. So you don't have time to spend a year trying to get everything together. You don't have time to evangelize to your friends and family that now is the day of salvation. And guys, I feel it tonight i have chills as i'm preaching this that there's an urgency about us there there's a shout that has to happen there's an intensity that has to happen there's a passion that god is looking to raise up and maybe you're in this and you say Isaiah, God just woke me up. My eyes have been opened. I've been in church my whole life, but God has opened up my eyes. He's broke me out of religion. He's broke me out of status quo. He's taking me out of the shallow end. He's taking me out of normalcy. Don't click off this broadcast tonight because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And the Lord is saying to you that he's brought you out for such a time as this, that there is a reason why God has brought you out. There is a reason why God has, has created you and God has made you for such a time as this that it's not that camera of course the camera's not gonna work that it's not just by accident it's not just by chance and you say i just found your broadcast two weeks ago or a month ago or six months ago or i've been watching for a year 
God drew you here. God put this video in front of you so that God can wake you up and God can open up your spiritual eyes. God wants to open up your spiritual eyes. Now the Bible says that there's going to be mockers, that as we say that we're living in the last days, that many are going to mock and say, Isaiah, haven't you always been saying we're going to be in the last days? Haven't they always been saying that Jesus is getting ready to come back? What is different from today than all those other days? And even as we're preaching this, there's people that comment on all of our videos saying, we've been in the last days. We've been saying this. We don't need an urgency. We don't need to talk about the book of Revelation. We don't need to know about the signs. But understand that the Bible says that scoffers will mock the truth and follow their own desires. And they're going to say, what happened to this promise that Jesus is coming back? Second Peter, Peter chapter 3, verse 3. This is more, more importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, which is what we're in right now, scoffers are going to come mocking the truth and following their own desires. And they're going to say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again from before the times of our ancestors? Everything has remained the same since the world was created. And then he goes on to talk about judgment and he says, dear friends, here's what you need to understand. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this part, but I'm going to read it verse for verse. Here's what you need to understand. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And then here's what he tells us. The Lord is not being slow about his promise and his promise to come back for his church, the rapture, as some people think, no. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. This is the tribulation. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? He says, listen, we're in these last days. The Lord is being patient. And because of all of this, what holy lives should we live looking forward to the day and hurrying it along? So here's our calling, according to scripture, is we look forward to the day and we hurry the day along. Hurry the day along by preaching to people, by believing the word of God. He says, but we're looking forward to the new heaven and a new earth that's been promised, a word filled with God's righteousness. And then this is what I love. He answers the question of what should we be doing before the rapture? What should we be doing before the last days? And he says, and so dear friends, in verse 14, while you're waiting for these things to happen, Everybody listen, everyone in the chat, 1,600 of you, everybody listen to what I'm about to say. While you're waiting for things to happen, what are we going to do? Because tonight, I'm giving you this now, because tonight we're going into, starting chapter 4, we're going into the beginning of the future events in the book of Revelation. Remember, the book of Revelation is a book from chapter 4 on about future events. And here's what he says, what should we be doing while we wait for these things to happen? Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives, okay, peaceful, not arguing with everybody, not making videos about everybody, not comment section, debating everybody, peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what the Bible is saying. This is what Peter is telling us. He's saying the Lord is not being slow. The Lord is not a liar. He is coming back the way that he said he's coming back. He said, but understand that the Lord excuse me, is being patient so that your friends and family could be saved. Friend, I don't want the Lord to return right now. And here's why, because I have unsafe friends and unsafe families 
that I'm believing to get saved that are not saved right now. I'm believing God to save them. And so if he came back now, they wouldn't be saved. So he says, listen, the Lord's desire is that nobody perishes. Here's why Jesus has not returned. Are you ready? Because your friends and family haven't been saved and he's being patient for your sake, not for his sake. He could return at any moment. It could be in the next hour. I might not even get through this message. And the Lord returns. That's the urgency. If you go, why are you shouting? And why is there such an urgency when you preach? Because God is telling me it's at any moment. We need to get the word out. There's an urgency about this gospel. There's an urgency about the preaching. So I want you to feel that burden. I want to put a weight on you tonight so that you feel the burden of getting the message of the kingdom out there because these future events are going to happen. The book of Revelation is not like it might happen and if things work out or if things don't work out. These are absolutely everything in the book of Revelation is going to happen. But God is saying that my time is not your time. My calendar is not your calendar. One day for you. You say, God, you've been slow in saving my family. God, you've been slow in restoring my marriage. God, you've been slow in healing. And God says, we're not on the same calendar. So don't stress out about what's going on around you. Don't stress out about what's happening with, you know what, the pandemic and what's happening with sickness and disease and earthquakes and famines and wars because I'm being patient for your sake and I'm getting ready to come back like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. You're not going to be prepared, but we need to stay ready because write this down, you're not going to have time to get ready. You're not gonna have time to get prepared. You're not gonna say, oh, I could go and listen to all these teachings whenever the Lord's about to come, but we need to be ready right now. Are you ready right now? Come on, do you feel it in the chat? Let me know. Are you ready right now that if the Lord, and this is what I've been thinking, you know, there's an old saying like, do you want to be doing that when the Lord returns? Speaking of doing sinful acts. And in my mind, I'm like, Lord, I want to be ready. I want my family to be ready. I want my friends to be ready. I want my church to be ready. I want my ministry to be ready. I want this online community. And so I know the Lord is having me teach this for a reason because I really believe we're living lost days and we're called to live pure, peaceful, and blameless lives. We're called to live peaceful lives. I've been hearing the Lord say this to me all week. Live a peaceful life. Raise up your family in the ways of the Lord. Preach the gospel. Minister. Don't argue with people. Don't debate with people. Don't bicker back and forth. Live a peaceful, blameless life. What does it mean to live a blameless life? Nobody can say anything about you. Nobody can say, oh, did you hear about his marriage? Oh, did you hear about this? Oh, did you hear about the way he talks? Oh, he fell into a scandal. Oh, look at the way she is. There's this consistency and faithfulness that God is looking for in this holy bride he's raising up that's going to live a blameless life, that's going to live as if I'm in a glass house, as if you can look at me in every angle. Friend, I'm the same all the time. I don't change. I don't turn it off, and then I'm talking dirty, and I'm watching crazy stuff and listening to crazy music, and then I get on here and preach to you guys. No, I'm making every effort. Now, notice what Peter says. Make every effort. It's not going to be easy. You can't sit back on the lazy boy of religion and American Christianity and expect God to just do it for you. But Peter says, you got to make an effort. And some of you, you want this great thriving. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost strong tonight. Uh, we're about to hit 2,000. You want this striving relationship with God, but you don't want to put any effort in. There's a laziness about the bride. There's a laziness about the church. And God says, it's going to take effort. 
You're going to have to actually get up and pray. You're going to actually have to open up your Bible. Friend, can I be honest? I'm tired, y'all. I preached all weekend. I preached my heart out. I prayed for people. I didn't get back to my hotel till one o'clock in the morning. And then I went back to service. I slept like, I don't know, four hours. I've just been tired. I have a crazy couple weeks every day, something. You guys already know I would never cancel the podcast unless I was like, I got it. I got stuff I got to take care of. But guys, I've been tired. But you know what the Lord's saying? You need to make every effort, much is given. This is what I hear the Lord saying. Come on, this is the Holy Ghost tonight. Much is given, much is required. You want a powerful anointing, Isaiah? You want a strong ministry, Isaiah? You want to see the sick healed? You want to drive out demons? You want to proclaim my gospel? I'm going to require something of you. It's going to be an effort. The same way you put an effort to watch every season of The Office three times. Come on, it's getting quiet in here tonight. The same way you put an effort into calling that girl and calling that guy. Imagine if you would just put 5% of the effort that you put into your job. Imagine putting 5% to the effort that you put into your Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok, your YouTube into your relationship with God what would happen if you put effort into your relationship and I pray tonight Lord if you don't catch anything guys catch this it's time to put effort in Lord let us be ones that hey you might not have it all together might not like my style might be a little bit too loud and too fast for you but there's one thing you can't say about me and that's I don't put an effort to my walk I put an effort am I perfect no do I have it all together no am I just this you know floating around like I'm the superhuman absolutely not but I, I'll tell you one thing I do I put an effort to my prayer life I put an effort to fast I put an effort to study and there's one thing you can't say you could say other things always do radical but you can't say I don't put an effort and God is looking for people in these last days it's very clear that are going to put effort in their relationship with Christ now everything we cover tonight is gonna be in the New King James I got a lot of verses listen I know some of you are like please slow down there's a feature on YouTube called half speed or 7.75 speed maybe you're gonna have to listen like that because I'm passionate guys I'm radical about this stuff I believe this with everything in me and I want to show you that as we go forward in Revelation now we're going to reveal the future everything going from chapter 4 which is where we're starting onwards is revealing the future the first three chapters are John's visions of the churches and now going forward is all future events so chapter 1 says write the things that you've seen these are past things Chapters two and three says, write the things that are present. These are the churches of now. These are the churches in John's day. And then chapter four, these things which will take place after. Now, after what you might ask, after the church age. So write this down. Chapters four through chapters 22 are all the things that are going to happen after the church age. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let me put an infograph on the screen here just to give you an overview of the timeline of Revelation and where we're at. Okay, this is the timeline of the end times. You can call the end times the last days, but this is the timeline for those of you that are, are new, maybe you're just jumping in and you don't know the timeline of how the last days are going to work. So you have the present church age is the very beginning. That's where we're at today. So that's the present church age. That's where we're living at. Then you have the rapture of the church. Now there's the rapture of the church after the present church age. This can happen at any moment. This is not the return of Christ. This is the return of the Lord for his church. This is the rapture of the church. And I've told you in video after video the differences. So I won't go again and retell you all the differences between the rapture and the return of Christ. But the rapture of the church is the Lord comes back unexpectedly and takes his bride. The return of Christ is not unexpected. It's after the seven year tribulation. Okay, now the church has been raptured. Chapters four through six, we don't know how long that's going to be. 
But that's going to be right before the tribulation because chapter six is the start of the tribulation. Tonight, we're going to go chapter four and five. Chapter six, the tribulation starts. That's the beginning of sorrows. That's the three and a half years. Middle of the tribulation, okay, is the desecration of the temple, which we're obviously going to get into in the days to come. And then there's the great tribulation and then the return of Christ. The Lord returns, defeats the Antichrist, all the armies, shackles the, the devil for a thousand years the millennial reign of Christ, then the Lord releases the devil one last time. I already have a video on that. We'll go into that as the weeks come. Then the final white throne judgment, then the eternal state, where remember, there's going to be the lake of fire. Everyone gets thrown in that, that's judged, including the devil and all the demons and the antichrist and the false prophet and the beast. They all get thrown in the fire. Then there's the eternal state. And that is where the new Jerusalem comes to earth to earth there's a new heaven and a new earth the bible says and we live with christ in the eternal state i hope that helps you with the timeline so right now we are in chapters four through six right before the tribulation again nobody knows i hope that helps you by visualizing nobody knows how long this period is but revelation chapter four verse one after these things i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i heard was like a trumpet speaking to me this is john remember saying come up here and i will show you things which must take place after this this is after the church age. John is now seeing an open door in heaven and there's a voice. I love this, guys. I'm so excited about this. A voice inviting John in. The voice John heard, the Bible says, was like a trumpet. Now listen to what I'm about to say. It was the same kind of voice that the Bible says will rapture the church. So for that and many other reasons, many prophecy experts believe John represents the whole church and his ascending into heaven is a symbolic picture of the rapture. That's what many scholars believe. So when John in chapter four, verse one, here's the trumpet and the voice saying, come up here. And John is taken up into heaven. That's the trumpet rapture. This will be the rapture of the church. Now, when the rapture occurs, the church will ascend into heaven at the sound of the trumpet, just as John did. The voices come up here. I'll show you what must take place after these. After what? After the church age, age which is the time that we're living in. Now the book of Revelation will begin to describe events that are going to take place after the rapture of the church. If you're mid-trib, if you're post-trib, it's okay. These events, I'm telling you because I'm pre-trib, are going to happen after the rapture. Regardless of what you believe, these events are still going to happen. Now the rapture is, we've heard the statement, we're all going to die one day and everyone's going to die. Well, that's a logical thing to say, but actually not everyone's going to die because there is an event, I'll give you an overview, called the rapture where we're going to be taken up into the air with Christ, and we're going to go into heaven. First Corinthians 15, 51, it says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret that we will not all die, but we will be transformed and it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown for then the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And those who are living will also be transformed. So there is going to be an entire generation of people that are never going to die, that are going to be raptured. And Titus 2.24, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for his appearing. So there's an entire generation that's going to be taken up without dying with the Lord. Now, some people say the Bible doesn't mention the rapture. It's an unbiblical term, they say. 
it's true english translators don't use the actual word english translations don't use the actual word but it doesn't mean it's not a biblical reality rapture simply means to snatch up or catch away the greek word is harpazo and some use that word instead of rapture it doesn't matter whether you use the word harpazo or use the word rapture harpazo however you pronounce it doesn't matter regardless there's going to be a coming away or taking up and a rapture first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 for the lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of god there's the trumpet guys and the dead in christ will raise first then those who are alive and remain this is what's going to happen to you shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord therefore comfort one another with these words this is describing the rapture of the church so you're going to get a new heavenly body you're going to get a new a new body that's not going to break down that's not going to be sick the bible says the rapture is going to happen in the blink of an eye it's literally going to happen in less than a second you're going to blink and the rapture is going to take place so in less than one second this is what's going to happen think about this millions of people are going to disappear in the earth one moment they're going to be there the next moment they're going to be gone jesus said two men are going to be working out together in the field one's going to be taken one man will be taken out of the field and the other is going to be left this is the rapture the bible says two women will be grinding flour and one will be taken and one will be left now imagine this i've thought about this so many times as i'm reading through revelation that millions of people disappear millions of drivers out of their car millions of people just lifted out of their jobs imagine airplane pilots all over just lifted out of their planes imagine police officers doctors politicians vanishing pastors and churches completely emptied out all in the in the blink of an eye now not every church every pastor is going to be obviously raptured there will be many that thought they were believers that are not taken up but think about millions of people all at once taken up think about this complete chaos like the world has never seen imagine when all the genuine believers this is the craziest part about the rapture when all the genuine believers disappear off the earth now the bible says that we are the salt of the earth salt in the first century was something that you use to keep food from spoiling in other words we are the thing that keeps the world from spoiling from complete morality just being removed the bible says that kings of the earth will gather to remove god's anointed friend understand that christians are the ones that hold the moral fiber of the earth together if the holy spirit left if the believers left there's no morality all-out chaos imagine right now all the laws that we're making and i can't say all of them because i'll get taken down i'll get flagged but imagine all these demonic laws all these things that are happening right now imagine if there was no moral compass there's no believers there's no salt in the earth are you guys hearing what i'm saying there's no light of the world we're the light the bible says and imagine the light what kind of darkness is going to break out what kind of havoc is going to be wreaked when the earth and when the christians are removed from the earth when the christians who keep the moral fiber together are removed entire families disappearing children going missing husbands not coming back from work the stress the trauma the chaos is going to be unmeasurable and you got to realize this is going to be guys when the rapture happens i mark my words it'll be the biggest thing that's ever happened it'll be all over the news 24 hours a day the news stations are going to be recording the millions that have gone missing and they're going to have all these theories now i believe right now i'm not going to get into any conspiracy but i believe that right now all this alien talk are you guys with me all this alien talk going on and they're saying oh we have uh ufo sightings and we have data we're going to release this is my true conviction 
I believe that the alien talk and the conspiracies of aliens is a paving of the way for the rapture. Because I believe that once the rapture happens, the entire world is going to say it was aliens that abducted everybody. It was aliens and it was not God. And they're going to resist the idea that God has raptured his church. Now, others that are non-believers that are out there sinning and rebelling against God and have turned from God, they're going to know exactly what has happened. Even though there's been books and teachings, many are going to deny it, but others are going to get saved right after because they're going to know exactly what happened because of Sunday school, because of growing up. So we don't know, again, from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to Revelation 6, 17, we don't know because 6, 17 is when the tribulation starts. We don't know the time period. The Bible doesn't say how long it's going to be, but we know there's going to be a process, a period that happens before the tribulation. The rapture happens. There'll be a small, small space of time. We don't know how long. And then the tribulation, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven and one capital O, a one sat on the throne. So Josh saw the door, heard the voice, and now John is in the spirit. So remember, John is writing from this, this out-of-body experience, not just a vision, but John is out of his body in the spirit, the Bible says. Now, when the Bible says in the spirit, it means John's body, John's spirit left his body. Now, his body could not enter heaven because it had not yet been glorified. However, his spirit could enter in because of the righteousness of Christ. So John's body is not in heaven, but John's spirit is now in the spirit and he's now in heaven. Revelation chapter four, verse three. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in an appearance of an emerald. So the one on the throne, Jesus, this is Jesus on the throne, had the appearance of white stones and red stones, jasper and sardius. Interesting, these are the first and the last stones in the breastplate of the high priest. So the first stone in the breastplate and the last uh, stone in the breastplate are Jasper and Sardius. And they remind us that the one on the throne is our high priest forever and ever. Now, everything we're about to see, I'm going to break down all the symbolism. Here's what I want you to write down. Everything points to Jesus. Write that down. Everything points to Jesus. Everything you see with the stones, everything you see with the living creatures we're about to talk about, the 24 elders, they all point to Jesus, okay? Jasper is opaque or translucent like a diamond. So if you think of Jasper, think of a diamond, and it represents the purity, purity or the holiness of Christ. Sardius is a fiery red, and that represents the blood shed on the cross. So you have the purity and you have the blood. That's Jasper and Sardius. Now, in the Old Testament, God promised Noah that he's never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. And how did God promise Noah? He promised him with a rainbow. And the reason why we're going to see in John's out-of-body experience, I was going to say vision, but really it's his, he's in the spirit. The Bible says he's not having a vision. He's in the spirit. God places a rainbow, an emerald rainbow. Now, what does the emerald rainbow represent? It's God's promise that he's not going to destroy the earth in the tribulation period. He will not destroy the earth. Now, as we go on the weeks to come, next week we'll start the four writers of the apocalypse and all that. You're going to see the things that happen during the tribulation are unspeakable. I'm talking about all the animals dying in the ocean, one th third of the world getting just is dying. I mean, you're it's gonna it's unspeakable what's gonna happen. But the emerald rainbow is a reminder to the church and to John that throughout the tribulation, the Lord is not going to destroy the earth. It's a reminder of God's grace and the fact that God is a God that keeps his promises. I want to tell somebody right now that's waiting on a rainbow, somebody that's waiting on God to fulfill a promise that the rainbow is the church's sign. It's not pride. It's not the homosexual movement. None of that. 
It's a sign from God that his promises are yes and amen. It's a sign from God that he is a man, that he doesn't lie, and he's a man of his word, and he's a man of his promise. So you have to realize that when Jesus had the appearance of Jasper and Sardius, the throne has the appearance of emerald green. Green is the color of life. Green is the color of eternal life, and that comes from God as a result of the shed blood of Jesus and the grace of God. So it's the blood of Jesus, the holiness of God, and the emerald. It represents life and eternal life that's coming from the throne. That's the rainbow of God. It's the promise. Not only the promise that he won't destroy the earth in the tribulation, but the promise of eternal life. And because remember, humans can't describe, humans can't, um, words can't describe human words can't describe what john is saying john is going to use symbolism for us to understand what he's talking about so he says the only thing i can say is there's jasper there's sardius there's emerald to try to describe it's not that jesus is literally a gemstone but john is saying this is the the lightest brightest reddest fieriest man i've ever seen and the only way i can describe it is these stones these gemstones revelation 4 4 around the throne were 24 thrones so he's giving us an image guys here's the amazing I'm, I'm so excited and passionate about preaching this but here's the amazing thing john is giving us an insight to what the throne room of god looks like he's literally going to tell us what the throne room of god you say i would love to go to the throne and john is literally about to tell us what the throne looks like he says the round the throne so here you have a throne around the throne are 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes that had crowns of gold on their heads. On one occasion, the entire nation, only one place in scripture, the entire nation of Israel was represented by 24 special priests. Just as the 24 priests, listen to what I'm gonna say, represented all of Israel, the 24 elders represent all believers from Pentecost to the rapture. So the 24 elders around the throne are a representation of all of the church. Okay, so they're going to represent us. So when you see the 24 elders, this is a representation of us. They represent us. When the 24 elders represented Israel, when the 12 elders represented the 12 tribes, these are representations of Israel, now representations of the church. And they're going to surround the throne of God as representative of a nation of kings and priests. Because remember, we are now a nation of kings and priests. And just as these elders are dressed in white in heaven, we are also going to be clothed in white representing the righteousness of Christ. If you're wondering what you're going to be wearing in heaven, you're going to be clothed in white representing the righteousness of Christ. Revelation 3, 5. He that overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my father and the angels. So what are we wearing in heaven? We're clothed in white garments representing the righteousness of Christ. Now, they're also going to wear golden crowns. Why? Because we will wear golden crowns in heaven. In heaven, you're going to be wearing a crown. Now, why do I know this? One, because the 24 elders are representing the church. Any Revelation scholar, anyone that studies Revelation will tell you that. But two, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear any of the things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation 10 days. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So God is going to give us a crown. The crown is called the crown of life. And we're also going to have crowns. I have in another video, just type in eternal rewards on my channel, the different crowns and how you can earn each crown. There's many, there's, I think four or five different eternal crowns that we can earn in book of revelation that God is going to give out. So you're going to be wearing white robes and you're going to be wearing a crown. Now there will be some 
I don't know if everyone's going to have the crown of life, but there will be some that don't have all the rewards or a full reward. So some will not have the full reward. There's going to be different levels of rewards in heaven. So these 24 elders will stand in for all those who love the Lord. So when you see the 24 elders, they represent the church. Now, it's very important to note that the church will receive its robes and crowns, and it's going to begin to reign with Jesus in heaven before the tribulation period. So think about this. This is more proof that we're in a pre-tribulation rapture, because before the tribulation happens, John has seen the 24 elders who represent the church in heaven with robes and crowns, as if we are going to be there with Christ before the tribulation with robes and crowns. Now, I know there's a lot of people that say, well, I believe in mid-trib or post-trib. Again, it's not a salvation issue. I have a lot of, I think I gave a video recently on six reasons why I'm pre-tribulation. I don't know why some people want to suffer. Like some of you believers, you want to be there. You're like, I want to suffer. I want to be tortured by the locusts and I want to go through the fiery hailstorm. Nobody, trust me, nobody wants to suffer what's going on the in, in the tribulation period. So here we're going to see the church in crowns of gold and white robes. Revelation chapter four, verse five. I got to go quicker guys, because if not, we're going to be here for four hours. And one, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings and voices okay so that's coming out of the throne seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god so think of it when you see lightning or thunder and you hear you know if lightning and thunder is happening there's a storm coming and you open up your app you turn on the news and you know okay there's a storm coming there's lightning and thundering a storm is approaching that's what lightning and thundering signifies so the same way, and the reason why John in chapter four is seeing lightning and thundering because God is signaling to John, but there is a great storm coming and God's patience with the earth is wearing thin and the tribulation period is approaching. So understand that the th thunder and lightning is a sign that we're about to experience a storm. Now, when I was in Texas Saturday night, I was worshiping uh, before service and I felt the Lord say, Isaiah, and I prophesied this in 2019 before 2020. I don't have to tell you about the storm that happened in 2020. You all know what happened. But I prophesied in 2019 that there's a storm coming to the church. I have a video clip of this. The storm is coming to the church and the church isn't ready. And I'm not trying to freak you out, scare you. Don't ask me what it is. I don't know. But as I was worshiping on Saturday night before I took the stage, I was, in, I was on stage worshiping. I heard the Lord clearly say, I heard the Lord very clearly say there's a, a storm coming to the church, not just America, but to the church, and my church is not prepared. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's this year, next year, but guys, just be ready. Have your act together. Make sure you're in prayer. Make sure you know the Lord. You're walking in the fear of God. You're walking in holiness, because I believe you. I'm telling you now that there's another storm coming, and the church needs to be prepared. So understand that there is a storm coming. We need to be ready for the storm that is coming. It's going to be happening. The last time I said that was in 2019. I don't get on and say that all the time. It's been almost, or yeah, about two years. Actually, almost two years on the dot since I've said that. But I really believe that there is a storm coming. So the thundering is John seeing an approaching storm called the tribulation. It'll be the greatest storm that the earth has ever seen. Now, we already discussed the seven spirits of God. That's in Isaiah 11:2. That's the spirit of the Lord the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven spirits, the seven virtues of the Holy Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit that fills believers everywhere is also burning before the throne. So here's what we have at the throne, just to give you guys a review. God the Father, who's on the throne, Jesus at the right hand of God, and the seven spirits of God 
burning the bible says the seven lamps that represent the seven spirits are burning before the throne so right there you have the entire trinity the entire godhead before the throne Luke 22:69 says from now on the son of man will be seated at the right hand of uh, of the power of God. Romans 8:34 says who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Colossians 3:1 it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Acts 2, 33, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered a one time or all, for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god first peter 3 22 who has gone into heaven and is at now the right hand of god with angels authorities and powers that are subjected to him Acts 7 55 but he full of the holy spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god behold i see the heavens open and the son of man is standing at the right hand of god this is when stephen was being martyred it's the only time in scripture that jesus was standing and not sitting and scholars say that when stephen was martyred jesus literally stood up and looked right down at stephen as he saw this vision over and over jesus seated at the right hand of god the holy spirit is there Jesus is there and the Father's there. I'm gonna show you this after even in more detail. Revelation 4, chapter four, verse six. If you're loving this, type one. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. So now we have the throne, before the throne, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes front and back. So in front of the throne was something calm, beautiful, a crystal glassy sea. Now prophecy experts suggest the sea of glass is the church right there before the throne of God. Because uh, biblically, a sea symbolizes the masses of humanity. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So if you go later on, Revelation shows us that the mass waters represent a sea of people. So this is what some scholars believe. I don't know whether I believe that or it's a literal sea. We don't know if it's symbolic or it's literal, but this is what some experts would suggest. It might just be a crystal sea that's like a glassy ocean a glassy sea or it could represent also a sea of people we don't know but this is just what scholars think they think that the water also represents the multitudes it doesn't matter what it represents what what we see here is that at the throne of god there's a calmness there's no turbulence in that sea in front of the throne there's no unrest but the church is going to be at peace with god right before him and there's going to be living creatures. Now, Ezekiel chapter one gives details on the seraphim. So does Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood, so above the throne stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, two covered his face, two covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory. These majestic creatures, they gaze upon the Lord day and night and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, these are what the Bible would describe as seraphim, a certain type of angel. Many believe, which I believe are the highest ranking angel or the highest level, the most holy, as you could say it, angel that exists. And these are the seraphim in Revelation 4, 7 now. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf or some translations say like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man and the fourth living creature was flying like an eagle. And I'm gonna break down what all of these mean. Remember, what did I say in the beginning? Everything points to Christ. So the first creature is, a, is like a lion. Now, why is the first creature like a lion? Because remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5.5, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and just like the lion is the king of all beasts or every animal, he's the king of the jungle, Jesus is the king above all kings, which is why he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's supreme over every ruler, every Lord, and every person of authority. And that's why Matthew says Jesus is the king of the Jews. Second creature is like a calf or like an ox is, I believe, a better translation. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give himself a ransom for many. So just like the ox, which is the beast that carries burdens, Jesus carried the burdens like an ox, carried the burdens of sin. So that's why we see the first creature is like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third creature is like a man. Why? Because Jesus was a human. Luke describes Jesus as the Son of Man. So these creatures... They are representations of who Christ is. Remember, it all points to Jesus. The fourth creature is like an eagle. And just like an eagle rules the sky, Jesus rules over all things. John called Jesus the creator of all. So just like the eagle rules over all, Jesus rules over all. Remember, he's above every power, every angel, and every principality. He's seated at the right hand of God above all things. So these four living creatures, I'm trying to make it simple. I don't want to go all crazy deep here. Remind us of the qualities of Jesus that are found in the four gospels. Matthew, he's the king of kings. Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's the son of man. John, he's the son of God. And those are the four living creatures all represent. And this continues to reveal to us that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the centerpiece of it all. Revelation chapter four, verse eight, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And they do not rest. Listen to what it says here. They don't rest day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy is a Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So their six wings are characteristics of the seraphim found in Isaiah 6. Their eyes are like the eyes of the Lord, which remember the eyes of the Lord are everywhere and behold all things. Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says the eyes of the Lord search the earth looking for someone loyal. So the eyes represent the eyes of the Lord that are all searching and all knowing. Um, the seraphim have stamina. They represent the stamina of the Lord. Remember, they never stop singing. They never rest. They don't sleep at all. And Psalms chapter 121 verse 4 says the one who keeps Israel never sleeps. So here we have the eyes front and back and within there's eyes inside of them and all around representing the eyes of the lord go all throughout and they also are unrelenting they don't rest they have unlimited stamina and unlimited strength representing that the lord never sleeps that god doesn't sleep he never rests and that he's always watching over and he and he'll always keep us the bible says now their job description this is what god does he says i'm going to put these four living creatures around the throne and you have one job for all of eternity and here's your job description. Exalt the name of Jesus, the one that was, the one that is, and the one that is to come. Here's your job description. You're gonna say day and night, and you're never going to rest. Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one that was, that is, and is to come. And day and night, they sing the same song. They never get bored and they never rest. This is your job description. Now, what can you imagine if they preached a message? What would they preach? That every time they look at the Lord, they get a new revelation. Every time they look at the Lord, all they can say, and they've seen him for a billion years, and all they can say when they gaze upon the glory of his majesty is you are holy. You are unlike any other God, that there is no one like you, that you are in a class all by your own. Guys, look at, look at the holiness of God. This is what they declare for all of eternity. Now, I want you to notice that they say holy, holy, holy. Three times they say the word holy. Could it be that they're saying holy is the God of the past? Holy is the God of the present? Holy is the God of the future? Or could it be, now just, just stay with me here, that they are in the presence of the Trinity. Remember, they say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, I don't want to block the camera here. Three things, Lord God Almighty. And is it possible? I'm just giving you a thought. I'm not saying that this is what it is, that they're saying holy is the Lord who's the Son, holy is the Spirit who is God, and holy is the Father who is Almighty. Holy is the Lord, the Son, God, the Spirit, and Almighty, who's the Father. And the reason why they're saying Lord God Almighty is they're singing the song, saying the Trinity is holy, there is no one like you. Holy, three times, one for each part of the Godhead, and then Lord Jesus, God, Spirit, Almighty Father, and they're declaring that we are standing in the presence of the Trinity, that we are standing in the midst of the Godhead, and our God is holy, and he's unlike any other God. Now, I don't believe there's any other creature in heaven or on earth who know the Lord God Almighty like the seraphim do. And imagine this, them preaching a message, what would they preach about? They would declare the holiness of God. They wouldn't get up there and preach a lukewarm sermon like so many of us. They would preach the holiness of God, that there is a man who came to earth, there is a man in heaven right now with all power, and there is a man that is getting ready to come back, that is to come, that is gonna establish a government that will never end. Revelation chapter four, verse nine. Now, whenever the living creatures, can we go long tonight? Type one, because we are, okay? Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to God and thanks to him who sit on the throne who lives forever and ever. So let me say this again, Revelation four, nine. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne who lives forever and ever. So every time, stay with me, they give glory and honor to God, something's about to happen. And what's about to happen every time they give glory to God is in chapter, uh, verse four of Revelation chapter four, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him saying, okay, and we're about to show you what they say. So the 24 elders always follow the lead of the four living creatures. Whenever the four living creatures go down and wor or begin to worship, the 24 elders fall down and begin to worship him and exalt him. And this is a sign of humility, that God is looking for a church that is humble, that would humble themselves, that would get on their knees and would exalt the Lord in humility. Okay, Revelation 4, 11, uh, verse 11 tells us what they say. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will, all things exist and were created. Now, this has been called the song of creation. The 24 elders proclaim the worthiness of God and acknowledge him as the creator of all things. 
He says, you're the one that holds all things together and your will expresses the desire of Jesus to create all things. Now, we might not know a lot about a creation and all the animals and all the things that God created, but we understand that Jesus created all things and it was his will that all things existed, okay? So let me give you a chapter four recap as we go to chapter five. John goes to heaven in the spirit, which is a symbolic rapture of the church. That's in Revelation 4.1. God's throne is surrounded by a rainbow, 24 elders, seven lamps, a sea of glass, and four living creatures. That's Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder coming from the throne are symbolic of the tribulation period that's about to come. That's in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. The four living creatures have six wings and are covered in eyes. Each of them represent a different animal, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. That's Revelation 4, 7 through 8. When the four living creatures glorify God, the 24 elders lay their crowns before, crowns before the Lord and proclaim the, the worthiness of God. That's Revelation 4, 9 through 11. Okay, now we're going to go into chapter 5. And remember, as we go into chapter 5, it won't be as long maybe as chapter 4. We'll see. Remember that this is a book of symbolism, of symbols. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we, we ask the Lord, reveal this to us, and we have to try to make an understanding of the symbols. Now, not everything is exactly what it seems to be, and not every symbol we give you or say this is what it means could be what it means. But this is just people that have studied, people that have uh, done research, what most scholars would believe and most people have studied, and most commentaries would state what I've studied, what the Lord has shown me. So we have the task of finding out, looking to Scripture. Remember, let Scripture interpret scripture what does the scripture say so revelation chapter 5 verse 1 through 2 and i saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne which is jesus a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals then i saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals so john is still in heaven besides god's throne and in the opening of chapter five, he sees a scroll in the right hand of God and is sealed seven times with the writings on both sides. Now, whatever the scroll is, there's no doubt that this scroll is important. Now, why would God reveal the scroll to the church? Could it be that the destiny of all mankind is in that scroll? Many people believe that the scroll is the title deed to the earth. Remember that at the cross, Jesus redeemed us as humans. He died for the sins of the world. But remember the book of Romans, and I won't go into this because it's like a 55, an hour long just teaching on this, so I won't go into it. But in Romans, it says the earth is groaning, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. The earth is in labor. The earth is still under the curse. That's why there's earthquakes and famines and hurricanes and tornadoes because the earth is still under the curse. And that's why when the devil said, I'll give you all of the earth, Jesus didn't argue and say, I own the earth because the devil does have power over the earth. That's why the Bible says he is a lowercase God of the earth. So many scholars believe the scroll that was in the right hand of God was the title deed to the earth. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. There's a principle in the Old Testament where you could buy back the land that has been lost. And this was the redeeming title deed of earth that God was going to buy back and redeem all of the earth in this scroll. And again, I won't go into that. It's a long, long teaching. You can Google it and you can look it up. But just remember that there was a scroll in his right hand. Now we know that God did not allow the earth to be destroyed by the flood until Noah and his family were safely in the ark. We also know that God did not allow Sodom and Gomorrah to be destroyed until Lot and his family were out of the city. And could it be that God did not allow the scroll to be opened until his church was safely in heaven? So the scroll is sealed and it's going to get opened up now that the church is raptured. But remember, I believe God is sparing his church. Now that his church is safely in heaven, it's been raptured. Now the scrolls can be opened. Now the trumpets, now the bowls and all these things we're going to see in the tribulation could happen. 
Back in those days, scrolls were made from strips of leather, animal skins in John's day. They were very expensive, very, very valuable. And in fact, they were so costly that Hebrew, the Hebrew people would write on both sides to save money. That's what the Bible says the scroll is written on on both sides. So the scroll in God's right hand has writing on both sides. It's very, all we know, again, I don't know exactly if it's the title deed of earth. That's just what scripture points to, but know that it's very valuable and it's a very important document. Now, John also saw the Bible says a powerful angel. What made the angel to be here so powerful we don't know but we know that it had authority to speak in the presence of god now we don't know who this angel is but because the name gabriel means the strength of god a lot of scholars believe that it's the angel gabriel now remember there's only one archangel named in scripture many people believe that gabriel is an archangel but it doesn't mention gabriel as an archangel michael is the only the only angel in scripture in scripture and scripture that's named an archangel. So Gabriel could be one. We don't know. Many people believe that this is Gabriel standing at the throne of God. Um, Revelation chapter five, verse three through five. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at the scroll. So John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, which we'll go into probably next week. So no one in heaven or on earth, either living or dead, will be able to open the scrolls or look inside. But John is heartbroken. I, I, we don't know why he's heartbroken. Some people think that he thinks that maybe what's in the scroll is a solution to humanity. For whatever reason, John is weeping because the scroll is not being able to be opened because the message of the scroll is gonna to have to wait. Now, oftentimes we say there's no tears in heaven, but that's not true because John wept, the Bible says, and John was in heaven because remember, if God can wipe, if God's gonna wipe away tears, there has to first be tears for God to wipe away. So the tears don't cease in heaven until the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven and God destroys death, sorrow, and crying in Revelation 21.4. So it's possible until the Lord destroys death, sorrow, and crying, it is actually possible to weep in heaven. We see John weeping in heaven. So suddenly one of the 24 elders tells John, stop crying because someone's been found worthy to open the scroll and it's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now these two Old Testament names of God remind us of the first and the second coming of Jesus. Judah was one of the 12 sons of Israel, also called Jacob, who is also the leader of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's Judah. And God promised the Messiah would come from the tribe whose symbol was a lion. So Jesus was a descendant of the tribe of Judah and the Messiah is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus is going to return with the strength of a lion. He's not going to return as a lamb. He's going to return as the strength of a lion. Jesus is also not only the lion of the tribe of Judah, but Jesus is also the root of David. Remember, God promised David that one of his descendants is going to be the Messiah. So Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy. His earthly mother, Mary, Mary, if you've read the book of Matthew in the lineage, is a descendant of David. So Jesus is the root of David, which we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders. Now, this could get a little deep here. Again, I'm trying my best to make it simple. I know some of this sounds complex, but just stay with me, okay? In the midst of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood, as a, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So notice what he says. There's a lamb there as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. There we see it again. 
are who which are sent out in all of the earth so we have a lamb that looks as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes now when jesus walked the earth john the baptist introduced him by saying behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that's in john 1 29. so when john in revelation saw him in heaven he described jesus as the lamb that looked as if he had been slain so it's not the lamb that was slain it was the lamb that had been slain so jesus our sacrificial lamb the old testament prophet isaiah foretold he was a lamb that was led to slaughter Peter said Christians are redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb that is without spot or blemish. That's in 1 Peter 1.19. So there's no doubt that Jesus is the last lamb that was slain for the sins of humanity. So this is what John is saying. Let me give it to you simply. John is saying, I see Jesus, who's the lamb, and Jesus looks as though he had been killed. But remember, he's not lying on an altar and he's not in a casket. He's standing at the center of the throne surrounded by four living creatures and 24 powerful elders and he's alive he's not dead he's not defeated he's not in a grave and he's not in a casket he looks as though and this is what john is saying i see jesus and he looks like he had been killed that's what he's seeing in this vision so don't mistake this don't think of jesus as a defeated lamb like oh he's just defeated and weak no he looks as though he had been slave but he's alive and alive evermore Now, the reason why he has seven horns is seven is the number of perfection and horns are symbols of power. So when you see horns in the Bible, these are symbols of power and seven horns means Jesus has all power, had all power and has all power. Now he may have looked like a little lamb, but he had all the power of God. The Bible says after being raised from the dead in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So I have power. I have all power and all authority. Now, the seven eyes are defined or represent the seven spirits of God that are sent out into the, all the earth. And he, again, he had looked like he had been slain, but his eyes were not closed. He was all seeing. He had the vision of the Holy Spirit. He knows all. He sees all. He has perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, perfect wisdom. And the Holy Spirit's seven virtues are now spread throughout all of the world through the body of Christ, through the church. We are the salt that's sprinkled or spread throughout all the world through the seven spirits of God. Revelation 5, 7 through 8. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So keep in mind, John is seeing all these things that happen after the rapture. So the rapture is a very significant event because here's the thing. The rapture marks a distinct change in the way jesus deals with mankind up until this point jesus has dealt with mankind as a lamb but from this point on through the tribulation he's going to deal with those that are left behind he's going to deal with them as a lion a ferocious being a ferocious powerful animal that's the way jesus is going to deal remember the bible says the devil acts like a lion remember he acts like a lion jesus is acting as though a lamb from this point on jesus is going to begin to act like a lion he's going to be ferocious and he's going to unleash judgment on the earth this is why the bible says now he's the lion of the tribe of judah so this is going to be a changing point you say how could jesus pour out meteorites and rivers of blood and kill all these people and cause all these plagues remember it's god causing the plagues it's because now he's going to begin to deal with the earth like the lion that he truly is 
So John watched as Jesus took the scroll from the right hand of God. That's what we're seeing. And when Jesus took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down in worship, each with a harp and a golden bowl. The harps are musical instruments that will accompany singing in heaven. So we know there's harps in heaven. The golden bowls contain the prayers of the saints. So who and what will we be praying for? So after we get raptured, we're going to be in heaven praying. Now, what are we going to be praying for? Probably loved ones. Imagine how many of your loved ones are not going to get raptured. Imagine how many of your loved ones are still going to be on earth. So you're going to be up there praying for your loved ones who are down being persecuted, being murdered, and dealing with the tribulation. We're also going to be praying probably for the defeat of the Antichrist. We're going to be praying for the second coming and all the reign of Christ. So we will be in heaven. According to the scripture, we are going to be actually in heaven praying as the tribulation goes on. Now, the Godhead is thought of as the Trinity, which is the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, Satan seems to try to duplicate the Godhead or the Trinity with his own satanic Trinity. Remember, I told you guys last week that Satan is a copycat and he takes the mark of the mark of Christ. And what does he make? He makes the mark of the beast. So now Satan, he knows the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together. And he's going to make or create or raise up a satanic Godhead. So he's going to try to replace God. So Satan replaces God. The Antichrist tries to replace Christ. So there's God the Father trying to be replaced by God, by Satan, the Bible says. There's the Antichrist trying to replace Christ. And there's the false prophet who tries to replace the Holy Spirit. So those are the three satanic trinity. It's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're going to create their own individual satanic trinity. Satan will indwell the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Bible says they're going to be pure evil. And when the Antichrist supposedly dies and he's going to get resurrected and some people believe he's going to come back to life because Satan is going to fully possess his body. And so that's why he's able to come back to life is because Satan will possess the body of the Antichrist, which again, we're not going into tonight. I'm just giving you an overview. We'll go into the weeks to come. Revelation 5, chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and you have redeemed us to God by your own blood out of every tribe and, and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So this, their songs speak of what Jesus is to do and what Jesus has already done. And it tells us why this is why Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seven seals. Jesus is worthy because he was slain on the cross at Calvary. He's the only one that is worthy to open up the scrolls because he was the lamb that was slain. We're going to see that in Isaiah 53. He is worthy because it is by his blood that he has purchased our sins. He paid the price of our redemption. So he's the only one that is worthy to open up the seals. He's the only one worthy because he died for the sins of the world. Every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation, because he died for the entire world and he's worthy. And this is why he's able to open the seals. Uh, Revelation 5, 11 through 12 says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times ten thousands and thousands of thousands okay it's a lot of angels saying with a loud voice worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power riches wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing so john looked and he saw a multitude of angels gathered gathered around the 24 elders at the throne of god and they were singing about the worthiness of god who is to receive now, some scholars say that if you go back to the original language, this was a hundred million angels. This is what most scholars believe. 
So when you look at the way that they wrote it in the Greek, it equals out to being 100 million angels. And this is what the angels are saying. They're saying the lamb is worthy to receive power and the power represents the authority to do whatever he wants. That's to forgive sins, to give eternal life, to command the angels, to have the earth be his footstool. He's worthy to receive riches, which is the wealth of God, meaning everything belongs to Jesus. He's worthy to receive wisdom. That's the wisdom of God, the counsel of God, the understanding of God, the ability to uphold, to govern, to judge, to redeem. Remember, Jesus said, I've been given all judgment. I can judge all things. The Father's put the judgment in my hands. And that's the wisdom. He's also able to receive, worthy to receive strength. And that's the strength to perform miracles, the strength to conquer, the strength to create, the strength to destroy, and the strength to cast everybody and everything in the lake of fire at the final judgment. He's worthy to receive honor, and that's rewards, the rewards of God and his people. Remember, we are the reward of what Christ did on the cross. The lamb is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. He's worthy to receive glory, and that's God's glory, God's magnificence, God's splendor, God's power, his dignity, his royalty, his majesty. Jesus is worthy. And then lastly, Jesus is worthy, the lamb is worthy to receive blessing. This is worship, acknowledgement, commendation he's worthy the lamb of god is worthy and so the angels are declaring to us that this is what he's worthy of revelation chapter 5 verses 13 through 14 and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them i heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worship him who lives forever and ever. So John said, I heard every creature praise God and his son, every creature in heaven, under the earth and on the sea, every creature that is alive or dead, every creature that has ever been judged or will be judged, every creature from the days of Adam to the rapture are going to praise the lamb. All every... Every single knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, and everybody's going to proclaim that the Lamb is worthy, and they're going to sing this song for that he who sits on the throne, the Lamb of God forever and ever, blessing, honor, glory, and power. Everybody's going to sing this. No one gets out of this, and this is what he sees, and they affirm their praise and their worship, and then the 24 elders respond by falling down and worshiping the Father and the Son at the throne. So praise and worship are due to the Father and Son all throughout eternity, the one that the one that was, the one that is, and the one that is to come. These all are going to receive praise because of the redemptive work of the cross. So let me give you the chapter five recap here. God will hold seven seals in his right hand and an angel will ask who's worthy to open the seals and John will weep when no one steps forward. That's Revelation chapter five, one through four. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy because he was slain. That's why he's worthy for the sins of the world. That's Revelation 5, 5 through 7. Once Jesus takes the scrolls and the four living creatures and the 24 elders will sing a new song and the angels will rejoice in proclaiming Christ's worthiness. Revelation 5, 8 through 12. When heaven is singing to Jesus, all the creatures on earth and under the sea will also sing praises to him. Now, some people, many people believe that those under the sea are those that are in hell, but this is what it says. They will all sing praises to him in Revelation 5, 13. And next week, we're going to start chapter six, which is breaking the seals where those seals are actually broken. And we're going to talk about the four riders, the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are going to be released on the earth. 2,700 of you on YouTube, incredible guys. Again, it's very frustrating that Facebook didn't work. We probably lost 800 to a thousand, but this has been amazing. I'm going to pray for you guys now. 
amazing time guys going through the book of revelation i don't know any videos on youtube or anyone that's going through every single verse and we are going through these verse by verse i'm trying not to go too long in every verse but i'm also trying to give you the biblical understanding in a simple way i believe at the end of this you're gonna have a understanding of every single verse of revelation you'll be able to point to and say i know exactly what god is saying i know exactly what that means and so i hope you guys are enjoying these they go by quick we've been an hour and 20 minutes guys and we blink and it goes by but this is the most important part where we pray and we're just going to believe god to move father we ask you lord that you would give us eyes to see that you'd give us ears to hear and that lord you would give us come on right now everybody pray that lord you would give us wisdom and understanding on what your spirit is saying father i know that we are living in the last days that lord there is an urgency right now that god there is an urgency and father whatever storm you're telling us about whatever word that you're speaking to us and for whatever reason lord you're having us go through the book of revelation i pray god that you would reveal that to us god give us that sense of urgency lord reveal to us what you're doing in the earth your word says in amos that you do nothing before revealing it to the prophet so father give us the eyes and the ears your word says in revelation that those that have ears let them hear what the spirit is saying to the church and so father i pray tonight that you would give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church god let us hear what are you saying Father, we, we want ears. Come on, right now, I believe God is going to give you ears. Just begin to ask him right now. Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. Lord, what are you saying to the church? What are you saying to the body of Christ? God, we want to know what is it that you're speaking to us? What is it that you're declaring to us, Lord? Give us eyes. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes enlighten our eyes just as elisha prayed that the servant's eyes would be open i pray tonight lord that every person watching not only would their ears be open but i pray that their eyes would be open in jesus name lord let us not be sleeping in the most important time of human history lord let us not be caught off guard as the foolish virgins were sleeping god let us not sleep but god i pray that you would open up our spiritual eyes that you'd give us eyes to see you give us ears to hear and lord let us know what is your spirit saying to the church reveal yourself to us god reveal yourself to us god do what only you can do tonight father i pray in jesus name god that you would heal your people that you would deliver your people that your power you said that they would be volunteers in the days of, of your power. So God, I pray that we would be volunteers, that you wouldn't have to force us to preach. You wouldn't have to force us to minister. You wouldn't have to force us to lay hands on people. But God, that we would be volunteers. I believe tonight the Lord is saying, I'm looking for volunteers. I'm looking for volunteers in these last days. That we are approaching the last days that the rapture could happen at any moment. And that we would be volunteers. Lord, I'm a volunteer. Tonight, guys, say yes to God. Tonight we say yes to you, Lord. Tonight we say yes to you, God. Do what only you can do. Come on, right now, say yes. Isaiah chapter 6, we say yes, God. Here I am, send me. Lord, we know that your eyes are searching, God. We know that your eyes are searching the earth looking for a family. I believe right now some of you family, you need to say, Lord, here we are. We're going to be a revival family. I heard the Lord say that yesterday, uh, but right before I got up and preached, I shared that with everybody there, that God's raising up revival families. God's raising up revival families. Say, Lord, let my family be a revival family. Let me be a family that has the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, that the lamp of God would be burning and shining and bright. Lord, let us be a family, a revival family. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, God, do what only you can do. Here I am, Lord. Come on, right now, type in the chat. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go where no one else wants to go. I'll labor when no one else wants to labor. Father, I'll put in the work, the effort, when they persecute me, when they make fun of me, when they judge me, Lord, I'll be the one to go. 
Come on, wherever you're watching from, whatever country you're watching from, Lord, send me. Here I am. Mark me tonight, God. Lord, I pray that you'd release your Holy Spirit over every single listener. Release your Holy Spirit power. Release your anointing in Jesus' name. Lord, release your anointing in Jesus' name. Anoint your people tonight, God. Mark your people tonight. Heal your people tonight. Deliver your people tonight, God. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Touch your people, God. Empower them. Lord, touch their mind. Touch their body. Touch their finances, God. Open doors. As you said in Revelation, that you open doors that no man can close and you close doors that no man can open. And God, I just pray that you would open those doors and send us, God, in the highways, the byways. Send us to our jobs. Send us to work, God. Wherever it is, Lord, that you want us to go, I pray that we would go. And I just volunteer. I just feel the Lord saying tonight that we all need to sign up again, that we all need to sign up for the army of God again, that you are a soldier, according to 2 Timothy, you are a soldier in the army of God. And Lord, tonight I re-enlist and I say yes to you. Maybe you made mistakes. I feel the Lord saying many of you feel like you're, you've fallen, you've made mistakes, that you're unskilled, you're unqualified, you're uneducated, but tonight the Lord is saying, sign up again in Jesus' name. And tonight I I re-enlist and I volunteer. He's not gonna draft you. He's not gonna force you. He will, he's looking for volunteers. Father, I volunteer. Here I am, Lord, send me. I volunteer for your kingdom. I volunteer to do all that you've called me to do. In Jesus' name, God, release your power. Here I am, Lord, send me. Father, we need your power. We need your anointing. Do God, do what only you can do tonight in us. Mark us tonight. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.